Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Okay, over the next, uh, the next three Wednesday nights, um, we're going to get into and begin to deal with um, some, just l- look, at, you know, spiritual warfare is a really big topic. Really big. Not quite as big as the end times. The end times can be turned into the black hole of theology. Spiritual warfare, likewise, is it's a huge part of what Scripture is. And there's some areas that you can get into in, the, in, in looking at spiritual warfare that are just too much. I know people that take it too far. Um, they, they turn what maybe is an experience into a doctrine, and we miss out on what God's trying to do in the moment. Uh, I've, I've known people that had these meetings where... Um, in the meeting, you know, they would, uh, people were seeing angels or gold dust or all kinds of stuff. And stuff we would look at and go, yeah, I'm not going to doubt that God could do that in the moment. I'm not going to turn it into a doctrine that says that if we don't have that, that we've missed God. It's where you can really get, get kind of off base on that. So um, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at spiritual warfare. Um, and tonight, before we even begin to look at what the, the outer coat of armor and what the Bible talks about in that, before we ever get into any of that, I want to look at, um, kind of work backwards, and let's work from the, the layers that you put on underneath the armor first. Uh, when I played football, there was, there was certain attire that you would wear. When the military, um, when they get ready to go out, or a police officer, when they get ready to go out, before they put on their, uh, their, their bulletproof vest, they have a whole other layer of, of things that they put on for a very specific reason. And so I want to look at scripturally what some of that is. Um, the, the reason that we can have any of this is because we're in a covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus. Amen? We, we have a, a direct access, a direct connection with him, because when we enter into covenant with Christ, we become one with him. And so we're going to look at it from that context. And that's just a reminder of the way covenant was entered into in the Old Testament, uh, there were seven steps to that covenant and the way it all laid out. And you can go look at the, the story in Genesis when God made the covenant with Abraham and it lays these out. Uh, the first step of any covenant that was made was a lengthy conversation. You never enter into a covenant casually or quickly, right? Um, I don't know many marriages that lasted very long that started because of a weekend fling in Las Vegas and they got married because they didn't know what they were doing, Right? I don't care what Carrie's song says. <laughs> what have I done? What's his last name? What's my last name? No, it doesn't work that way, okay? Doomed to failure, okay? Lengthy conversations, okay? It makes that whole process work a lot better. Then there's the exchanging of coats, which is symbolic of the exchange of authority. <clears throat> For instance, one of the reasons in the story of Joseph in the coat of many colors, one of the reasons his brothers hated him is because Their dad gave him a coat of many colors. It was representative of authority. It was new. It was not something easily done. And so that was one of the reasons that that sparked that. Uh, The third thing was the exchange of belts, which is uh, symbolic of resources and strengths. What's a a belt do? What's a belt good for? It's not just a fashion trend, but it actually serves a purpose. It's to keep your pants up. Keep your pants up keeps you from being embarrassed, Right? Some of you are like, I don't know about that. The promise, it keeps you from being embarrassed. So what you're saying in the exchange of belts is that I'll use my resources, I'll use uh, my everything that I've got, my strengths, to help keep you covered so that there's no embarrassment caused to you from what I have. What I, ha- what I have is yours and what you have is mine. We're equally entering into that. The fourth part of it would be a sacri- uh, the sacrifice of an animal. 
Um, only the permanence of death adequately demonstrates the seriousness of this agreement. So they would sacrifice an animal so that they could show, yes, uh, in the way that that process worked. I mean, that, you can get through the whole process, but they cut, cut the animal in half and laid it each on, uh, half of it on each side, and you would traverse through between the two parts. It was very intentionally done. The fifth step was the cutting of hands. Um, so you would cut, they would cut their hand, and then they would strike the hands and pledge, and it was the mixing of blood. Uh, was the, the idea that literally every part inside and out of us is mixed together. Uh, and then the sixth part, I said seven earlier, I meant six, sorry. The sixth part, uh, portion of it is the exchange of names. Now, in the, in the story of Abraham and Sarah, their names initially were Abram and Sarai. When they exchanged names, they took the part of God's name that's not pronounced in Hebrew, the H in Jehovah, they took the H and it was added into their name. Abram became Abraham and Sarai became Sarah. And so they took part of God's name in that whole process. So when we enter into a covenant, this, this is where we're building from. That covenant has been made and we enter into that when we confess the Lord Jesus, believing in our hearts and confessing with our mouths that he is Lord, repenting of our sins. When we work through that whole process, we step into that covenant that's why I'm not, I'm not always uh, overly excited when people make emotional moment uh, decisions to follow Jesus, but when it's that one that, man, they've been really struggling and wrestling with it and they make the decision, yes, I'm going to respond to that conviction and yeah, I'm ready, they begin to take that step forward. Uh, think about it in the, in, in the story of the Gospels. How many times do you read where the disciples came to an altar? Jesus never gave them an altar call and asked them to repent of their sins here and now that they would be saved. Instead, he said, come and follow me. And they entered into that covenant over the next three years walking with Jesus that would be proven out over the remainder of their lifetime. So we've got to get our, our mindset adequate. I'm all for altar moments. These are moments where, where we come and die. It's a place where we come and say, here's where I'm going to lay this down. I, I get it. But at the same time, I want to see the proof in that in the long run. And that's the same thing in our lives. Faithfulness has to prove that out. So tonight, we're going to look at six aspects of spiritual warfare. We're going to hit them kind of quickly. I'm not going into super deep depth in all of these um, either, so just kind of hang with me. Uh, at the end of all of this, if you would like a copy of all of this notes, there's about 25 pages of stuff we're going to cover in the next three weeks. Um, I'd be happy to give you all of that. So tonight, first of all, the blood of Christ. It's underneath the armor. It's not an exterior portion. The blood of Christ. That's the first part we're going to look at. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Aren't you so grateful that that's the case? He redeemed us. It wasn't through silver, it wasn't through gold that he offered us this, that he redeemed us from our empty way of life handed down from our ancestors, our forefathers. He redeemed us from that. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without defect or without blemish. Perfect, spotless. He was everything. The blood of Jesus is not just to save us from hell. It's not just for that. That's not all that it's for. The blood is a weapon that gives us victory. 
That's, that's truly the essence of what it is. Yes, it saves us because it defeats the enemy's plan in our life. We need the blood applied to our life. It, it redeems us. It, it gives us a victory over the empty way of life that we once knew. I used to know a terrible way of life that was empty, that left me looking for more. And when I found Jesus and repented and came under the sacrifice that he made, all of a sudden I found a way of life that was much better, amen? That's what the beauty of the blood does for us. So in this case, if you're not prepared or trained to use it, it's going to be useless. It's kind of like if you had a home invasion and you have a gun but don't know where the ammo is, ammo is useless. If you don't know how to load it, it's useless. If you don't know how to use it, it's useless. We've got to know how to use it. We've got to put it into practice and move from step one to step two. Uh, most of the scholars agree that blood represents death. In the Bible, blood represents death in life. Uh, we see if you're bleeding, most of the time you're still alive, but if you're bleeding, you're headed towards death. In the New Testament, the blood of Christ always refers to the sacrificial death of Jesus. That's what blood always refers to. Why is the blood or the death of Christ significant to, as one of our, our weapons? Because we have to understand that God is just. Amen? He's just. He always does right. He always puts it into practice. The universe that we live in, it's similar to a big courtroom. It's similar to a big courtroom. Everything has rules and order and specific ways that every portion has to work. There's a way that God's designed this whole thing. And this courtroom is, is ruled by God's judicial system. Now, I've, I've not, fortunately, I've not had a ton of dealing with the judicial system in my life. But what I do understand is that there is a, a, a way things work. Uh, there's one video on YouTube that every time it comes up in my timeline, I have to watch it. And it's of this, this uh, little lady, and she is going to be arraigned by video. And she um, gets real snarky with the judge, um, talking about how much money, the, all this jewelry she has. Um, and the judge shouldn't set her bail very high, but, but she does have all this jewelry. And the judge, and he goes away, and he calls her back because... He heard her cuss at her because he set her bail really high because she's bragging about all this money she has. So he calls her back and says, did you say that? Uh, I don't know. And she gets an attitude and he gives, raises her bail, raises her time in jail, uh, and then just sends her away and she says something again. And he calls her back, gives her a minimum of 30 days and all this kind of stuff for like a speeding kind of a ticket, like a reckless driving ticket. It was something that you think there is no way. And he gave her the maximum of everything that he could give her. Why? Because he's the judge. And he makes the, the way things work inside the rules of law. In the same way, God put every rule together, and he is the judge and says, this is the way it's going to work. He's just. There is a price to be paid for everything. So Jesus paid that price. His blood covers all of that. God has all of the authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth because he created it. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who created the heavens and the earth. That's the way it works. In the process, though, he gave that authority to us so we would, so, so we would possess the earth. The devil was on earth, was not, uh, I'm sorry, the devil was in the earth, but did not possess the earth until we gave up our rights until Adam and Eve exchanged it over a stinking apple. They exchanged it. We lost our rights. God didn't just take it back because man rightfully or wrongfully lost it. He's just. Now, as a dad, what do we want to do when our kids lose something? We want to immediately step in and take it back. I'm trying to learn to not do that, right? 
So like, uh, uh, for instance, this is a perfect analogy because it happened right before church. Cecily has this toy that she's had for about four years. It's a stupid little mermaid that you twist it and the tail spins and it's, you know, it's a 75 cent toy. But it was laying out. Hayes picked it up after his nap and said, I'm going to play this, start playing with it. And Cecily lost her ever-loving mind. Now, she hadn't seen it in about five hours, but now because Hayes has it, she wants it, right? Well, the, I want to step in and be like, here, give her the toy back. No, 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 no. You lost it on your own bad, bad decisions to leave it laying around. Now he gets to play with it. There's a difference between being right and being, uh, being fair and being just. Sometimes fairness gets lost in justness. When God acts justly, it's not always in a way that we see it as fair. What would have been fair is for Adam and Eve to have been able to say, God, we're sorry, and God to have put it all back the way that it was, but he didn't. He acted justly. Luke shows us this in Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says that the devil uh, led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone that I want. Why? Because the devil still had the authority over all of the, all of the earth. Why? Because Adam and Eve gave it away. They chose through their act of sin to give it away. Satan had possession of the world. The only way he would lose possession is to overstep his boundaries of the universe that God established or to violate the law of the one and only supreme judge. He did this when he took the life of a sinless man in Jesus Christ. He overstepped his boundaries. Now Jesus has possession and the devil hates to be reminded that the blood of Jesus is what took it away. He thought if I kill Jesus, I've got everything taken care of. But in that process, all he did was unleash the greatest weapon that we have possession of, and that's the blood of Jesus because it stands on its own power against the devil. That's why Revelation 12, 11 is so powerful for us when it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They overcome him. They triumph over him by the blood of the lamb. That's us. The blood has power. It's effective. Your testimony, our testimony, is the declaration of what the blood has done. It's the declaration of truth and justice according to God's universe, the way God put this whole thing together. When we testify to it, we're saying Jesus' blood saved me and redeemed me, and because of that, I have the victory over you. It may not seem like right now I have the victory, but I've got the victory. I just have to remember how I'm covered, and it's I'm covered by the blood. We apply the blood when we speak the word. Plead the blood over our lives. Plead the blood over your family. Plead the blood over your finances, over your workplace, over your grandkids, over your everything. Plead the blood over them on a regular basis. Why? Because we need to be covered. The second thing, so you have the blood of Jesus uh, the second thing is the name of Jesus. <coughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cough in the microphone. I thought I hit the mute button. In the Bible, we see that a name is more than just an identifier, right? It's more than that. In the Bible, people were very conscious of the meanings of names, how many of you, when you named your kids, you looked up what their name was going to mean? Anybody? We did. We went through them names, right? We found all kinds of unique, interesting connections to the way that it all works. We're big on family names. All of our children's names are very specifically chosen and very specifically named so that their middle name is after a family member who we wanted them to bear their characteristics and their traits. 
We were very conscientious in that choosing. We were conscientious in what the names meant. We did it on purpose because that's the precedent we found in Scripture. People don't just name it. There's meaning there. There's, there's, there's power there. There's authority there. They were very conscious of the meanings of names. Each of the 12 sons of Jacob, each one of them means something. And one time, maybe, maybe we can get into it and we'll talk through the, the 12, uh, what each 12 of them mean and how they're the steps of progression and salvation uh, in our life. And we, we, start with, uh, we start with salvation, we end with praises in the middle. It's a unique and it's a beautiful process. And one, one night we'll get into that, but not tonight. These 12 names each meant something very specific, right? Each one of them meant something. Uh, it just so happens that God was revealing the progression of our relationship with him through the meaning of their names. Jesus, the literal, a very literal translation of the, of the name Jesus means Savior, uh, that Jehovah is salvation. That's a very literal translation. Uh, I've heard, heard a lot of different na- definitions. I've read a lot of different definitions of what it means, but it means that Jesus came to save the world. He took back the keys of sin and death. And again, through the confession of his name, we have victory. I, have you ever in your life, how many of you have ever seen someone that was demon-possessed be deal with in a church service? Anybody? It is one of the craziest events you'll ever see. And every time when we're praying with these people who are demon-possessed, the one thing we're trying to get them to say is the name of Jesus to confess their sin, to ex- call on the name of Jesus. And that's the one thing that the demon fights more than anything ever. And every time, if you can get them to that point to where they can bring their will of humanity and surrender it to Jesus and pronounce that name, you begin to have the uh, breaking in that. and You begin to have deliverance begin to occur because now they're submitting to Jesus. And when we submit to Jesus, the authority of his name breaks the yoke and it, it causes the demon to have to leave. The same thing applies to our, we don't have to be demon possessed to see that happen. We have to be able to sit back and say, you know what, Jesus, your name means salvation. And so I'm going to call on your name because I need you. We've got to remember that our, our, through, through the confession of his name, we have victory. But why do we have victory? We've got to remember that we're in a courtroom of our father and he has a judicial system intact. And his name, think about it, that's how you got saved, right? You believed in your heart, you confessed with your mouth. The devil has to play by these rules. He doesn't have a choice. He doesn't get to circumvent God's design. There are a lot of people in our judicial system, unfortunately, money talks. And if you can get the right attorney, they can make a whole lot of things happen and make some things go away, man. There's a way, unfortunately, the way things work. Well, in God's system, there's a way to circumvent the system. It's by calling on the name of Jesus. The devil has to play by the rules that God put in place. He doesn't have a choice. So when we begin to confess truth that Jesus has saved us and that his name is covering us, the devil has to regard the truth. He can't stand up and say that man is a liar. Why? Because Jesus stands between us and him. He's our defender. He's our lawyer. He's our judge. He's our savior. He's our cover. And in his name, we are delivered. And in that name, We're added in. We are entered into adoption. We are made one with Jesus. You have full rights. We have full rights to the judicial system that God put in place because we are his. 
Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says this. It says, therefore, God exalted Jesus, exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the name of Jesus. That's what happens. That's the way that it works. So we've got to use the name of Jesus. Now this next one I'm not going to spend much time on because honestly, I don't want to dig too much into this one, okay? But it's there and I want to highlight it because it's an important aspect of scripture that I do want us to see. And the third one is angelic warriors. One thing that I want us to understand is that we do have authority over fallen angels through the covenant relationship with Jesus. Fallen angels would be demons. We have authority over them. You do. You, you, it's the way it works. I don't. You don't. But through him, we do. Right? Not in my name. I, I love the, the, the story in, in Acts where the seven sons of Sceva. Remember the seven sons of Sceva? Uh, Paul, and, Paul and those guys, they were casting out demons. And, and these guys, the seven sons of Sceva, decided they wanted to, to do it. And they, they go in there to cast out the demons out of this man. And the demon looks at him and says, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who in the world are you? And attacked them and they went fleeing from there naked. Now listen, in our own name, we don't have any power. But in the name of Jesus, we have great authority. In the name of Jesus, we have all authority. Because of the blood, because of his name, that stamp that gets applied, we have authority over fallen angels. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that God would command his angels over us. Look at this, Psalm 91, 11 and 12. It says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Okay, so that's Old Testament reference to what the angels would do. But it's different because of the authority of Christ in the New Testament Christian. No angels are sent to serve you. Why? Why? Wouldn't that be great? It's different. It's because you've entered into a covenant with him and your, your resources become his and his resources become yours. I don't have to have an angel work for me. Why? Because I have everything that Jesus has. We've just got to remember whose we've got and what we've got because of him. Hebrews 1.14 says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? There's they don't have to hold us up. They don't have to. Why? Because we have the authority. We have the authority over all of them. We have the authority. When we entered into covenant, we get the authority. So our angels, our angelic words, yes, but we have the authority over them. The fourth one, the fourth aspect of spiritual warfare of our, of our undergarments is the anointing that destroys the yoke, the anointing. You, you keep that going, and I'm going to end up an OSU fan or something. <laughs> Lord Jesus, deliver me from my own thoughts. <laughs> the anointing that destroys the yoke. In the Old Testament, they would anoint men to be priests, right? They would anoint these, uh, these men, for the priest, men for the priesthood and set them aside for the purpose that was in the heart of God. You think about David. David was anointed to be the king. Uh, when they anointed Samuel, they brought an, a horn. 
that was filled with oil and they would pour the entire thing out over his head. I can remember one, one year at a, a discipleship camp, a, a winter camp, when the speaker decided he was going to illustrate this, this idea of the anointing and grabbed my friend Robbie, who was the DYD, and had him come up there and they had brought this, you know, the little kids' plastic pools, right? Set him up there in it. And he's got this whole vial of oil in the middle of winter. Robbie has to go outside to get to his room and he takes this entire thing of oil and just drenches him in it. And didn't tell him before service he was going to do it. That guy never got invited back to another camp to speak. But it went everywhere. I mean, the top of your head, it worked its way into everything. Robbie said he felt like for three days, every shower, he was getting oil off of his body from a different place that it had worked its way into, into some crevice of his body. That's the way the anointing works. They would put it over you and the anointing would preserve you. It would keep you from, from uh, 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 decaying. It caused things to work a little bit smoother and a little bit better. The anointing makes things different. See, Jesus came as the anointed one. That was his purpose. He is the holy and anointed one. But we've got to understand that the anointing comes with a call only to a willing heart. God wants to anoint each and every one of us for a purpose, but we've got to come with a willing heart and allow him to anoint us to fulfill that purpose. God has an anointing for you. God, it's not just for those of us who are standing behind a pulpit. It's way more for each of us when we walk out of this room. The anointing helps us to live and to fulfill our, fulfill our purposes outside of this room because that's where Christianity truly happens. It's lived out in front of people, and we need to be anointed to fulfill the purpose that God's put in our hearts. We've got to be willing to take that step forward. But if we're not willing to do what God's asked us, there will be a no anointing that comes for it. My dad, when I was uh, about 14 years old, I can remember my dad working through this really struggle with the Lord. And I, I can remember it was, it was during one summer when I, was, I had had this camp experience, I was really really interested in what God was doing. And I remember coming to my dad and saying, you know, what is it with you these days? You pray longer, you pray louder, you pray harder, you read the Bible more, your preaching is better. You're, I mean, I just, I, there were all of these things. I was like, what, what is the deal? And I remember him looking at me and saying, I remember about 10 years ago, the Lord asked me to come on a journey and I was scared and wouldn't do it. This time, I'm going to say yes. And there was an anointing that came upon his life. Friends, we've got to be willing to say yes. The anointing that you need for your workplace, the anointing that you need to deal with your kids, to deal with your grandkids, the anointing that you and I need never comes without a purpose. It always comes with a purpose uh, for, for those who are called, and it's a purpose call, never comes without the anointing. God has a reason for giving it to us. The thing is, God's not going to give it to us if we're not going to say yes to the purpose. We've got to be willing to go for it. We've got to be willing to take that step. Isaiah 10, 27. It's the verse that we all know about the anointing. And it, it says, and it shall come to pass in that day that, the, that his burdens shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Because of the anointing. 
Now, one of the interesting um, theologians that I read in, in, in researching this verse, because every translation says it differently. In fact, if you read it in the NIV, it says that the, the yoke will be destroyed because of the fatness. I don't know about you, that doesn't sound too happy, right? I mean, it's kind of like, you, you know, as the, old, uh, the old Chris Farley sketch where he's trying to get on the coat. That guy in a little coat and just rips the whole thing apart. That's not exactly the idea I'm looking for. One of the best ideas that I've ever read on this, this theologian said that the oil, when it would work its way into the yoke, it wove its way into every portion of the yoke until it literally, the yoke could not hold on any longer. You ever had a moment where there was something coming against you? There was some attack from the devil that had come your way? that the anointing just began to work in your life and the closer that you pressed into the Lord Jesus, all of a sudden that yoke just began to slip its way off. All of a sudden it begins to go away. The idea is that when this oil would work its way in, when the anointing oil gets worked into that wooden yoke, that, that slavery, the yoke is a heavy weight that's put on an ox's neck to keep their head down so that they stay plowing in a straight row. The idea is that there's no purpose. They're just doing what they have to do because the yoke is on them. But when there's a purpose in our life, we have to have our heads up to be able to see it. And the anointing will destroy that yoke, but we've got to say yes to the purpose of God so that we can do what he wants. And then the anointing destroys that yoke so that we can go where God wants us to go. He's going to break it off of us, but we've got to allow the anointing to work in our hearts. If there's no purpose, there won't be an anointing. Guess what? If we're going to win the war that's in front of us, we better accept our marching orders. We better say yes so that the anointing can accomplish its given task in our hearts. One time I, I had on, uh, I thought this would be a great idea to put on this little, uh, like a, 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 they'd cut off a fitting of a brass pipe. I thought, oh, that'd be funny. It looks like ring. ha, ha, ha. You know, you're doing everything you can to try to get it off, right? You know, you're licking your finger and hoping to God you don't cut your tongue while you're doing it. Yeah, you know, it's just you're doing everything you could. I can't get this thing off. My dad goes over, grabs a quart of engine oil, give me your finger, pours it on my finger, on, on where that, that fitting was at, says, now get it off. Thing just worked right out. The anointing makes things that were impossible before possible now. The anointing makes things difficult now easy then. Not that it's any less work to do it, because the sacrifice and the price we have to pay for the anointing, the saying yes, the denial of, of all of the other things that we want in the process are going to cost us something on a personal level. But it's worth every sacrifice we make. It's worth it. Because the anointing is not a burden. The anointing is a burden lifter. We've got to have the anointing. It's important that we have the anointing. Next is we've got to be clothed with Christ. We've got to be clothed with Christ. Now, Ephesians really lays this out well. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11 and 14 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. His might. Now, I like the way that says it on purpose. In the power of his might. 
Not mine. Not yours. His. His might. Other translations say in his mighty power. That's fine. But in the power of his might. I love the way that rings in my head. Because it's the reminder that no matter how strong I am, no matter how much determination and grit and willpower and desire I've got, it still doesn't matter. We've got to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, his authority, his name, everything that he has, we need. His might. I've got to stay plugged in to what he's got. Put on the full armor, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor. Put it all on. We're called to take our stand using God's strength. How do we take our stand? In the power of his might. So finally, let's read it together. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. How do we stand? In his might. He's holding you up whether we realize it or not. He's got you propped up. We take our stand leaning against him. When we're learning, when kids are learning to walk, what do you do? You put them near the, the, the ottoman or the, the, the couch cushions in the floor so that they've got something that will hold them up. We need that. It's his might that's keeping us propped up. And bless God, we can stand firm, fully putting on the armor of God so that we can accomplish his task. Amen? We need his power in our life. Verse 14 then says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand therefore. Anytime you see therefore in scripture, you ask yourself, what's it therefore? And go back and and read the preceding verses. Why? Because if you go back to verse number 10, what's it say? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Do everything that I'm telling you to do so that you can take your stand. Verse 14, stand therefore. Stand in the power of his might. We've got to be clothed completely and, and, and fully encompassed in who he is. To become a, a, a Roman soldier, which is what Paul was writing about here, was the illustration, the visual that he was looking at when he was writing this down, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the, the, the sword of truth, the, the, belt of, uh, yeah, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit. As he's going through all this, he's literally looking at Roman soldiers. We can go back historically, we can see how it's all laid out, and we can see what, God, what, what Paul was, was referencing. So to become one of them wasn't something that was done lightly. Man, you had to be committed deeply. It was great pride that a soldier assumed this powerful position. It was great pride that you put on the armor of becoming one of the elite Roman emperor, uh, one of the the elite uh, members of the Roman Empire. It's the way that it worked. Man, it was something special. The authority that came uh, had very few limitations as a Roman soldier, very few limitations. And when one assumed this position, you were extremely proud and confident of your accomplishment. So when Paul says, stand therefore, stand is the word stemming, and it means to stand upright. It's the image of one who is so confident that he's holding his head high with his shoulders thrown back. You, you know that look, like that look that we're going to see in every first day of school picture that anybody is ever going to take, right? Because the kids got their new clothes on, they got their new haircut, their new kicks, and they are thrilled because they, you know what? What do we tell them? Man, you look good. You know what? That haircut is looking so fly. I mean, you look good. That, what do we tell them? 
Kay today, he goes and gets his haircut, and he's got that permanent arch. You know, he gets it carved, like shaved, the, the permanent crease. In his, and I'm like, you, one of these days, you're going to have the same haircut as your dad if you keep that up. But right now, you look good. It's the way. We, we want them to stand confident and tall, right? And he's, he'll tell me, no, dad, I got more hair than you. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Thank God you take after your mama in that. His, we want that. This is the idea. Man, that first day of school, look, where you got your shoulders thrown back, your head held high, you are confident in what is happening. You are confident that you have become a Roman soldier. The same thing should apply to us spiritually. Man, we should feel so confident in knowing who we are. When he says to stand, therefore, baby, take your place in the, the ranks and know that you are covered by the blood of Jesus, that you can call on his name, that he's given you the anointing to accomplish the task that is in front of you, and that there are angels that are warring on your behalf and you have authority over them. Even the ones that are fallen and are trying to take you out, you still have the authority over them. Everything you need, God's given you. Take authority with the anointing of Jesus and in his blood and accomplish the task. That's why Galatians 3.27 sums it up so well. It says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Our confidence is not in us. It's in Jesus. Stand, therefore. Stand. Boldly knowing what God's doing. And lastly tonight, we've got to center our lives around God's word. We can't run around from emotional moment to emotional moment and expect to make it. Spiritually speaking, that's the equivalent of someone who runs from one drug high to the next drug high. Don't get me wrong. I want us to have as many spiritual experiences with Jesus as we can have. But let's not turn it into an addiction moment where if we don't have the next high, that we've missed something. Let's learn to feed ourselves on the word of God, knowing that he can and will sustain us beyond anything that comes our way. We don't have to run from emotional moment to emotional moment to emotional moment. Spiritual warfare is a lifelong commitment. It's a lifelong lifestyle. It's something that we put in place all the time. First Peter 1.13 uh, in the NIV says this, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace uh, to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. The King James and the, the New King James say it a little bit different, a little bit better. It says, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end uh, for the grace that is to be brought to you upon, uh, brought upon unto you, my goodness, you'd think I forgot how to read today. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus. We've got to gird up the loins of our mind. We've got to draw that up together. We've got to prepare our minds. We've got to prepare our minds for action. It does not something that's just simple. We've got to take every thought captive. We've got to seek to renew our thinking to the word of God. The longer and the longer that I'm alive on this earth, the longer that I do ministry, the more convinced I am that people's lifestyle, our lifestyle, our sin issues get summarized in the thought process of our day. You show me somebody who struggles with lying, I'll show you somebody who constantly dwells on mistruth. You show me somebody who constantly uh, uh, struggles with deceit, and I'll show you somebody who is constantly telling only portions of a whole story. You show me somebody who deals with gossip, and I'll show you somebody who is constantly filling their mind with TV shows that are about gossip. 
I'm telling you, the more and the more and the more that I see people filling their minds with things that are contrary to the word of God, we wonder why our lifestyles live out the way that they do. What are we allowing our minds to dwell on? See, it's the loose, the, the dangling, the uncommitted, the unrenewed areas of our mind that the devil uses to wage war against us. What does the Bible say? That he's not able to tempt us, but we are, we tempt, are, are tempted by ourselves, right? It's when our own thoughts and desires get carried away, that we fall into sin. The devil's not bringing anything against you that he hadn't already uh, figured out because of our thought processes that would be the perfect attack for you. Come on, think about it. I've never had the devil tempt me with something I hadn't already thought about. I've never had the devil tempt me in an area that I hadn't already some way, form or fashion kind of traversed down that road. We've got to win the war in our mind. Don't allow any area, not one single area, to go unrestrained, unbrought in, not, not committed, wholly committed to what Jesus is trying to do in our hearts. See what the devil did to hurt you? God will use to bless you if you'll submit that situation fully to him. If you'll submit it fully to him. See, I think God uses those moments to prepare us for the greatest moments of opportunity our lives are ever gonna see. And those moments are gonna be made available to us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I'm struggling. I, I, I need the Lord to help me. I need the Lord to do something in my heart and in my life to see me past this. And tonight, I'm willing to step up to the plate and say, you know what, I'm gonna... I'm gonna pray the price. I'm gonna begin to use the weapons that God's placed in my life. But we've gotta first acknowledge what we're not so that we can see what we need. Maybe you've got an area in your life you're just struggling you say, tonight I'm gonna commit to begin to use the weapons that God's already placed in my life. If that's you, would you slip up a hand? Okay. All right. Who else? All right. Here's the thing, fam. You can all look this way. We've got we've to put it in practice. We've got to use it. Not just tonight when you know, somebody's provoking us, but tomorrow morning in our bedroom when no one's provoking us. Tomorrow at lunch, you know what, when it'd be easier to you know, think about how we want to strangle our boss's neck. Instead, recognize the attack for what it is. When we look at our bank account, begin to plead the blood of Jesus over that. He will make provision where we didn't see it coming. God has a way of doing this. Think about our kids and our grandkids and the struggles that they're facing. Let's teach them how to fight the fight, but we've got to fight it first. So we're going to, I know it's just after eight o'clock, but just bear with me for a couple more minutes. Fran, if you would turn on um, some worship tunes. If you need to be dismissed, you can do so, but let's turn this place into a place of prayer. Let's begin to put it into practice. We all have areas that we're fighting a fight, amen? We all have an area that we need to the Lord's help, the Lord's intervention to see it through. Let's begin to put that into practice. Let's begin to pray through this and apply this to our hearts and lives, amen? Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in us. I thank you for all of your wonderful blessings. God, tonight I pray in the name of Jesus uh, that we would arise and awaken to the level of, of authority that you've given us as being yours. And God, that we would step into new dimensions of using your power and using your equipment and using the weapons you've already given us 
to win the fight today. God, help us to rise, to be victorious and accomplish what you have in store in Jesus' name. Let's pray.